As I say, Pastor Scott is out of town uh, for a couple days, and he asked me to, he said, would you be willing to lead the service next week? I said, well, I'd certainly be glad to. It's always a privilege and honor to share God's Word. I, I wore my name tag from my um, Professor Steve's community group on Sunday morning, uh, one, so I don't forget who I am. That's always important, but uh, just to let you know who I am so you see who I am. Um, I'm a very, very short-timer here. Uh, I was chatting with some folks before service. I've been here three months. I came to Concord from Arizona for my destination wedding three months ago Sunday right here in this chapel in this very spot here. Uh, just a quick thumbnail, not to bore you and, and hopefully to keep you here. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Kentucky, so I'm a, basically a southerner, at least I always considered myself one, at least south of the Mason-Dixon line. I spent the first 40 years there in Kentucky. I grew up in Louisville or Louisville, if there's any Yankee blood floating around. Um, I worked at various jobs at uh, a utility, a con uh, combination electric gas utility. I was up, worked my way up from a night phone operator to a, basically a department head division manager. We attended various churches during that time. Uh, my connection here to, to Concord in general and Pitts Baptist in particular, so many of you know my brother-in-law, Dan Thompson, he and his wife, Verlene. Verlene and my first wife were sisters. So that's how I came back here. Uh, I um, had been over 10 years since I had visited this area. So October of 18, I came back to spend a couple of weeks with them, and lo and behold, they introduced me to Lois Hall in their class, and as the phrase goes, one thing led to another, and here we are. So we're very blessed for that. At uh, different times in um, our church work back there, we, my wife and I served in various capacities in different churches. Uh, and then uh, our church commissioned us, um, licensed and ordained me and licensed my wife and sent us out to the mission field in Arizona uh, to a Native American area. And we were there for about a year and a half. Uh, you don't think of it that way, but essentially it was a third world country, almost. When that uh, work ended, we moved into a small town nearby, and I was able to get a, a chief financial officer job at a 
small utility there and spent 17 years there again working in various churches uh, helping out where we could then in 2005 we moved to central Arizona and uh, worked for a local government there as a division manager basically I've pushed paper and counted paper clips and fought spreadsheets and dealt with grumpy customers for 40 years. So that's been my career for that. And then I retired in October of 2012 and um, continued to, to work with uh, various churches. My... Um, my first wife passed away coming up four years ago this June. Uh, she had brain cancer. I was her for about nine months. I was her 24-7 caregiver. And she went home to be with the Lord in uh, June of 2016. Uh, she was a, a PK, a pastor's kid. Uh, her father was a pastor at various small churches in Kentucky and he was also the president of a junior college back there. Like I say, we <clears throat> worked at different areas, different capacities, uh, Sunday school teacher, superintendent, deacon, elder, associate pastor, carpet sweeper, trash taker, outer, toilet cleaner, whatever. So uh, whatever there was to do, why well, we did our best to do it. I was thinking of what lesson I could bring for a few minutes tonight. And of course, I always do the thing that I do first. Father God, what do you want to share? And if you're taking notes, the title I've chosen is Equipped for Works of Service. Equipped for Works of Service. It's a basic, very basic lesson, one that, that you've heard many times, I'm sure, different times, but... You know, sometimes we need a reminder ever so often. In business, uh, education, ever so often businesses and educational groups and others will call the time out and examine what are we doing, examine our mission, look at the goals, look at the objectives. Are we meeting what we need to do? Same in the military, those of you that have served. The military will call a stand down. They do the same thing. Review procedures, review missions, review policies, and all of those types of things. Being from Kentucky, you know, um, they always, Kentuckians sometimes are known for telling stories. I guess I'm no different. Standing down and 
remembering basic things reminds me of the story about the old bookkeeper. And when I say old bookkeeper, I'm ta- think Bob Cratchit, you know, with the eye shade and the green ledger sheet and that type of thing. And this old fellow would come to work every morning. He would unlock his desk. He would open the center drawer. Pull it out, look at it for a moment, and close it. And then get his books and ledgers and files and folders and whatever. And begin his day. To the end of the day, he'd lock it up, head for home. Next day, same thing. Unlock it, look at it. Anyway, that went on. He was a long-time person. He stayed there at this place for over 50 years. Finally, back in those days, they didn't have pensions, no 401s, no IRAs, no Roths, none of that. So they gave him the proverbial gold watch, and he retired. The next day, the next day, his co-workers nearly broke the door down to get the key to open his desk to see what he was looking at every morning. He had a little slip of paper in there. This, by the way, if you're familiar with accounting, this is a T account, what it looks like. And he had a little slip of paper, and it said, debits on the left, credits on the right. Very basic accounting beginning. That's all he needed to get him started each day. So let's look at some, shall we say, debits and credits for a few minutes. First point, again, if you're taking notes, we have scripture that is given to us for our benefit. So in your copy of God's word, either turn or nowadays tap or swipe to get to it. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Doesn't matter what type of media that you have, the important thing is you have God's Word in front of you, in your hand. And beginning in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, And this particular passage, I'm going to read from the New King James. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. A passage that you have read, you have heard lessons, perhaps probably taught at some point yourself. Let's go back 
look under some twigs and leaves of this before we move on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration is God-breathed, and many of your translations have it translated that way, and that's a good translation for it. It comes from the Greek word pneuma, meaning breath. Inspired by God, God breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, which is the act of teaching in the original, for reproof, proving or testing or exposing, for correction, the word in the original there for correction means, interestingly, restoration to an upright state. Restoration to an upright state. So it's like your fence post out in your yard. If it's cockeyed, you get it straight. You're correcting it. You're getting it to an upright state. That's what God's word does for us. And then for instruction. And the word there means is in the context of instructing a child. Instructing a child, interestingly. In righteousness, and then verse 17 starts, that the man of God may be complete. So many times I've heard, occasionally heard, Some of the ladies say, well, what about us? I'm a person. I'm not a man. Well, again, if you go back to the original Greek there, that word is anthropos. Anthropos. And it simply means person, a human. Could be a man. Could be a woman a child, a young person, a baby, a senior, like me, junior, senior, but whatever. But it's a person. So if you think, if you see that and you think man or woman or person, that's a perfectly good way to read it. May be complete qualified and proficient, thoroughly equipped. Literally what that says or means, an equipped one. It's the divine passive, an equipped person, if you will, for every good work, everything that is done. So, Scripture is given... If you go back to verse 16, the first word there, all scripture. What's all mean in English? Everything. What's it mean in Greek? All, everything. How about French, German, Spanish? All means all. God's Word is our instruction manual. This is what we read. 
This tells us how that we live. But we'll look at a few things later before we close up and find out, do we do that? Do we do what we're supposed to do with that? So we have scripture. That's wonderful. But what's the next step? God provides leaders to equip us for service or for ministry. Flip back a few pages or swipe a few times and come back to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, a, a very familiar passage that you have read heard many lessons on Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 11 and he and he himself he himself who Jesus gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And I'll pause right there. Again, going back to verse 11 of chapter 4, it says he gave some to be, not everybody was an apostle, a messenger or a delegate, delegate, that's what, that's what apostle means in the original. Some prophets. What do we think of when we think of a prophet? We think of somebody who hears from God of a future event and then shares it with his people. Well, that's one way. That's one thing a prophet does. And particular, particularly in the Old Testament, that was what they did. They looked down the corridors of time and saw events that God revealed to them that might be months or years or centuries ahead. And they shared it with the people. If you like a prophetic study, like I do sometimes. Read Daniel. Read Ezekiel. Looking down the corridors of time. In fact, last last year, what is this, January? June was the last time I was able to uh, share a couple of lessons at the church in uh, Prescott where I live near and I finished up a seven-part end times prophecy overview.
and we thoroughly pulled all of that apart and looked at profits. But another mission, if you will, of a prophet, not only maybe looking down the future, but simply speaking forth the word of God to speak out. That's what also is encountered in part of what a prophet does. Continuing in verse 11, some evangelists, a preacher, and some pastors, a shepherd, and teachers, instructor. In some circles, these ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, sometimes is referred to as the fivefold ministry gifts. And sometimes some commentators, some theologians will argue that the pastor and teacher, they kind of lump them together. Essentially, one way to think of that is the the teacher is simply a teaching elder, if you will. The pastor is the shepherd of the flock, just like Pastor Scott is for us. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For the equipping, it means to render fit, to render fit for the work of ministry. The original word there, diakonia, can be translated either service or ministry. Either one. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That edifying is interesting. That means it's related to constructing and building a structure as a home. So edifying is doing that, putting the framework together so that we're ready for works of service. So we have scripture for our benefit. It's God-breathed. God provides leaders for us to help us, to instruct us, to correct us if need be, to lead us. But then there's something that we need to do. Flip a page or two or a tap or two to chapter 6 of Ephesians. And find chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. I'm going to read this passage out of the uh, New Living Translation. I like the way that particular one reads. Verse 10, Paul says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his might. Put on all of God's armor so that you may so that you will be able 
to stand against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, literally in the heavenlies. Therefore, whenever you see therefore in scripture, find out what it's there for. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Continuing in verse 16, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So we have God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed. We have leaders that help us learn, instruct us, care for us. But we need to put on this spiritual armor. I ran across a sentence the other day, and I read it a couple times, and I jotted it down. It's not scripture, but you could put some scripture to it. The church is not an audience to be entertained. It is an army to be empowered. The church is not an audience to be entertained. It is an army to be empowered and I and as I sat there and thought about that and I thought of that first part of the sentence the church is not an audience to be entertained and I thought oh my goodness there's a lesson or two or three in that but I didn't want to get into that, and it would be too long if we did. I am so thankful, I am so thankful, the people of Pitts and this church are members of God's army. We're not here to be entertained. I can't speak for other groups. 
and I'm getting to know these folks, you folks, and the folks Sunday morning. And what I've seen thrills me. I remember visiting here um, October, almost a year over a year ago. And I thought to myself after visiting and, and greeting some of you, listening to the teaching, both Sunday morning and in the community groups, I thought, wow, I could, I could make this my home church. And I did. Let's go back up to verse 12 for a minute. We're not fighting against blood and flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places. Society, as you probably realize, treats poo-poos the devil, or at least treats him as a cartoon character. If you have had the unfortunate experience of dealing with a direct frontal attack, either spiritually or through someone that was encouraged. The devil is not a cartoon character, I can assure you of that. But, but, no satanic assault is stronger than God. No satanic attack can penetrate this armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. And no satanic evil can prevail over God's church. So if you're dealing with a spiritual battle, take heart. You may not feel like it right now, but you're a winner because you have God's word to equip you. And you have your brothers and sisters to support you and help you and pray for you. So to recap just to, briefly, we have God's word, all scripture. We have God's leaders that are ordained by him and sent to us to equip us, to teach us, to help us. We have our spiritual armor that we have to put on. I can't put Ed's shield of faith on. I can't put Dennis's helmet of salvation on. We have to do that ourselves. Once we're equipped, then we need to be doers of the word and find our place of service. Now again, the short time I've been here, I have not seen a church like this that is 
got so many folks involved in so many um, ministries. There are activities, but they're ministries. You know, you can have, you, I've seen churches, and I've been in them, maybe you have too before coming here. There may be tons of activities. I mean, you know, you, you open up a bulletin and it, you know, falls out, and there's from Saturday morning till the next Saturday, there's tons and tons of stuff going on. But is it really what God impressed that group to do? Is it what he wants? So we need to be doers and find our places of service. Flip over, uh, we're going backwards, I guess, Um, Romans chapter 12. Look at a few verses there. Romans chapter 12, and let's start with verse 3. I'm going to read this one from um, the um, ESV version. When I came here, I did not have an ESV version in my library. And um, I thought, well, I need to get something and so I looked and looked and uh, my brother-in-law Dan and my wife uh, Lois have a ESV study Bible well that's you know the the big five pounder that that they you know kind of gives you wrist aches so I didn't choose to get that I thought well I've looked I've looked through one and I thought well I, I like those I thought maybe I can do something. And then I took inventory of my library. I had seven study Bibles and four different translations. So I thought, okay, I don't need necessarily another one. Maybe Lois will let me borrow hers. (laughs) So she did. But I did find... um, a fairly slimline uh, version from Crossway. It's a two-column, nine-point type. It's a little small for her. I've had one. I've had a um, New American Standard that was about half that thick. And... Every time I opened it, it was, you know, come on, bifocals, do your thing. <laughs> Romans twelve three. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and these members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are in one body in Christ, and individually members of another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So just as there are different ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, pastor, and teacher, there's different things that are in the church that we can do. Flip a few more pages and let's look at James chapter 1. Very, very familiar passage. James chapter 1, and let's start in verse 22. And again, I'm going to revert back to the uh, NLT. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for it. I like how, he, how it starts out in 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. I don't know how many of you remember from your school days, if you took any college courses, you paid your tuition and attended class and did the work, took the test, and so on. Hopefully passed and got credit for it. But, and I don't know how it works now. I've been out of school for <clears throat> a few years. But in my day, students, some students, could take a class by auditing by auditing. And by auditing, I'm not talking about like uh, the auditors that come in and check your books and do all of that. You pay a fee, you show up, listen to class, listen to the professor. You don't have to take notes. You can just warm a chair you don't have to take the test. You don't have to write the thesis. You don't have to do the theme work. You're there just listening. 
You're not taking anything in. You're not putting forth an effort if you're auditing a college class, let's say. Don't be an auditor of God's Word. Don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says, as Paul writes in verse 22. Back in Acts chapter 17, we have an example of the Bereans. Those are some folks that we need to emulate. Acts 17, verse 11. Again, in the New Living, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. We need to be like the Bereans. We need to search the scriptures daily. The Amplified Version, I like the way they put this. It, the Amplified Version essentially takes the original language and expands it. It doesn't change it, but it adds um, emphasis to what certain words mean. Now, these Jews were better disposed and more noble than those in Thessalonica. For they were entirely ready and accepted and welcomed the message concerning the attainment through Christ of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. With inclination of mind and eagerness, searching and examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. At the beginning of the lesson, I said there's a few things I can do. There's many things I can't do, uh, one of which is, you know, lead singing. In addition to all, and all those things I mentioned that I've done, all that's in the past. This is, as of three months ago, it's day one for me. I have a new city, new wife, new life. So I'm trying to find my place. One, uh, one of the other things in all the churches and things that we've worked at in the past, my first wife and I, they, I can't cook, by the way. I can't sing and I can't cook. Why Lois married me, I don't know, but 
that's another story. They knew better than to put me in the kitchen. They didn't want me to poison half the church, so I stayed out of there. The other thing I can't do very good, as you'll see, is draw. However, that said, does that little pitiful kindergarten sketch remind you of anything? Think of you the maps in the back of your Bibles. Galilee, the Jordan River, what's that? Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? There is no outlet. Huh, interesting. Let me tell you a little story when I was filling in as Sunday school superintendent for one small church, and the whole church was probably about the size of this group tonight. The, one of the primary classes for the little guys, her, the teacher wasn't there. She wasn't, I don't know what happened anyway, she didn't show up that particular Sunday. So I thought, okay, no problem. So I went back upstairs, and there was a ladies' class. Now, these ladies were seniorish, retired ladies. They had been coming to that church week after month after year. So I asked the teacher, excuse me, can I speak just a second? And I made my plea, you know, we need a teacher for primary class number two, so sister so-and-so couldn't be here. Would one of you ladies please, you know, volunteer to take the class? And there was only like three or four little kids in it. So I expected to be, you know, overwhelmed with volunteers. So I stood there. And I stood there. And I stood there. And looked. None of those ladies that had been in that class for longer years than I was alive raised their hand. Finally, in the back row, a person raised her hand. She said, well, I'll, I'll be glad to do it. I said, okay. I'd never seen her before. She was a visitor. <laughs> I, took me a long time to get over that little episode. Don't be an auditor of God's word. Yes, take it in, study it, know it, equip yourself. But make sure there's an outlet. People are watching us.
People are watching you. You may be aware of it. You may not be aware of it. But if somebody thinks you're a Christian at work, in the supermarket, at wherever, your club, you're being observed and they're watching you. Sometimes folks say, well, I'm, you know, I can't, you know, I can't be like Pastor Scott or Brother Jonathan to lead the choir and I can't do this and I can't do that and so forth and so on. Well, in various places, 1 Corinthians 4, we're called servants and acts in Romans many places were called ministers second Corinthians 5 were called an ambassador acts Corinthians and Timothy were called a witness and hold on to that thought about witness we'll come back to that but sometimes people try to for whatever reason compare themselves to somebody else well, that's, that really doesn't get anything. Give you an example of feeling inadequate to do something in a secular level. There's a world famous orchestra that was having its dress rehearsal the night before the concert. And in the midst of the wind section, there was a piccolo player. Again, I I'm, I'm, can't sing, I can't play, so I'm, I'm going on what I read and what little I remember from 100 years ago in music class. Piccolo is a short little wind instrument. It has a very high-pitched sound. It's very pleasing. You can practically stick it in your purse or your pocket almost. Well, anyway, this piccolo player was thinking to himself, and he said, you know, I'm one of 120-odd people in this orchestra. They don't need me. They can't, they, you know, the audience, they can't even hear my little piccolo. I'm just not going to play. So during the dress rehearsal, he kind of scrunched down behind some of the woodwind players so the conductor couldn't see him. So anyway, they assembled, got their music out, conductors at the podium, ready, and then he began to conduct the piece. And after six or seven measures he stepped down he said stop stop where is the piccolo well there's Mr. Piccolo player all scrunched down right here he said why were you not playing well I'm not important they can't hear me, it doesn't matter. The conductor said, we need everyone playing 
to make the orchestra a complete unit. It doesn't matter. Many of us are involved in different things at, at the church here. It doesn't matter what you're involved in. You may be a piccolo player. You may be a first violinist, so to speak. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The important thing is to take in the word that we have and use it. In Matthew 20, we don't have time to read that, but <clears throat> Jesus exercised the ultimate example of a servant. When James and... Um, the sons of Zebedee, their mother said, you know, I want my sons to sit at your right and your left hand. He said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, literally to the consummation of the age is what that means. So our takeaways are... We have scripture given to us for our benefit. God provides leaders for us to equip us. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to be doers of the word and find our places of service. <clears throat> I mentioned the word witness a while ago. Years ago, in my Kentucky job, I was considered the custodian of records for the utility. And on occasion, I'd have to testify in court about various records, different levels of the court system, federal, circuit, whatever. I wasn't there to uh, convince anybody of anything. You know, is this a piece of paper? Yeah, it's a piece of paper. Is that the record of such and such? Yes, that type of thing. In the courtroom, of course, there was the spectators, the judge, the witness box, the jury, prosecution, defense table. Turn that scenario around and think of this. What if you were in that courtroom not as a witness, but on trial at the defense table. More specifically, you were on trial for your life. Oh, I didn't say what you were accused of. 
you were accused of being a Christian. In this country, fortunately, in many cases, that's maybe an academic exercise. In some areas of the world, that's real. It's deadly serious. My question and challenge to you in closing is this. If you were sitting at the defense table accused of being a Christian and the jury came back with their verdict, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? If so, great. If not, why not? What would I need to do to fix it?